0: So, uh, my name is Pete O'Halloran. I'm part of the pastoral care team here at the Vineyard and we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark and we've got to uh, Mark chapter 6 verses 45 to 56 and uh, I've called this, have you got the title there Mark, there, do you like the title? <laughs> Four Bellies, Wet Feet and Hard Hearts. There you go. That's what it's all about. So, let me set the scene before, uh, before we do our reading. So, uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 in the wilderness. He's done it miraculously. Um, there they are beside the sea. They're out in the wilderness. There's nothing to eat. He's just got five loaves and two fishes, and he miraculously multiplies them, and the 5,000 are fed with stuff left over. Anyway, it's getting late. So he sends his disciples off across the sea in their boat and, you know, he's going to join them later. And he stays to dismiss the crowd and have a pray and that sort of thing. And uh, this is what happens next. Okay, so let's read. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray It is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came uh, to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. i going to change the glasses, hang on. There we go. Oh, right. Good. <laughs> right, um... I want to start in, a, in what might seem like a strange place. I want to start right in the middle of that passage. Verse 51 and 52, he says, and Mark writes this, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That's interesting, isn't it? What was it they should have understood uh, about the loaves? And what, what should we understand about these events? It's interesting that Mark puts these two events to get together in the same category, doesn't he? He says if they, they, they were astounded when Jesus walked on, on, on the water. But he's sort of saying, well, they shouldn't have been really because, well, the loaves. Hmm, okay. If they'd understood one, he thinks they should have understood the other. Well, what was it that they didn't understand? It wasn't that they didn't know what had happened. After all, they'd been there when he was multiplying The loaves. They just watched him walking on the water. They knew what had happened, but they didn't understand what it meant because there was a a deeper meaning to this, something about Jesus that the disciples just weren't seeing. So what do these events show? What do they mean? Well, to understand that, we've got to look back into the Old Testament, okay? So all Jews at that time would have been very much aware of their history with God. And the main thing that had happened in their history was that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He'd brought them out through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and finally into the promised land. And that story is told in the book of Exodus. And the the events in the book of Exodus all are in the background to Mark. There are echoes of Exodus in Mark. And I want to look at two events in Exodus that echo here. Well, the first event, probably guess this one, is God miraculously feeding his people in the wilderness. Okay, so let's set the scene here. It's Exodus 16. God has delivered his people from slavery to the Egyptians. He's brought them safely through the Red Sea. They're not yet in the promised land. They're in the wilderness, and there's nothing to eat. They're all hungry, and they start complaining. Okay, so the people are complaining and the Lord speaks to Moses. This is Exodus chapter 16, beginning at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord... Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? And in the morning you shall shall see the glory of the Lord. And God said, Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron and the Lord uh, are saying to the people of Israel Look, when God feeds you, it shows he's your God, it shows his character. It shows his faithfulness to you. And there's a parallel there, obviously, I think, with Jesus feeding miraculously feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness. And what the disciples should have seen was that this was Jesus stepping into the place of God. This is what God had done for Israel, and now Jesus is doing it for Israel again, feeding his hungry people in the wilderness. And Mark thinks that as well-taught Israelites... The disciples should have seen that. That is what they should have understood about the loaves. Well, what about Jesus walking on the water? What I want to point out here is I think Jesus is very deliberate about this. He's the one that organizes for the disciples to go ahead, get in the boat, isn't he? He could have followed them in another boat, but he doesn't. He stays to dismiss the crowd then he goes up for a, for a prey. It's getting later and later. And then he looks out across the... You can still see them in the, as, a, as the sun's going down, and, and he sees them struggling out, out on the, out in the sea. He, know, he knows everything that's happening here. He's set it up, and then he walks past them. Now, he could, have, he, could have, um, he could have got another boat. He could have walked past out of sight to avoid giving them a fright. But no, he walks close enough to them in the darkness that they can see him. He's doing it deliberately. He wants them to see him walking past. Well, why? What did he want them to understand? Well, obviously, walking on the water is like a miracle. You know, have you done it? I've never done it. Nobody's ever done it. It's incredible, isn't it? But in the Bible, the sea, and especially a stormy sea, has a particular significance. In the Bible, you find that the sea is often uh, the place of chaos the place of uncontrolled evil, the place of threat and danger, Uh, and so much so that only God can control the sea. That's the picture you get. Only God can control the sea. Only God can walk on the sea. The sea may be unstable, frightening, chaotic, but God's power is so great, he can walk across it. And we see that in the Old Testament book of Job. Job writes this, he alone, God alone, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. That's Job chapter 9, verse 8. He alone, only God, walks on the sea. Who's walking on the sea here? It's Jesus. God alone, Jesus alone, walks on the sea. That's why Mark brings these two things together. Jesus feeding his people in the wilderness, Jesus walking on the water, things that God does, things that only God does. They should have seen it. And so Jesus is showing them here his authority over the sea, his authority in that case over all of creation, even the most dangerous and chaotic and rebellious parts. No, Jesus is in charge of those. Okay, I want to look a little bit closer though. I want, to, want us to look at the way Mark speaks about Jesus walking on the sea. And here we're going to go back into Exodus again. Now, notice that Mark writes that Jesus went to pass them by. Did you notice that? Jesus just went, he meant to pass them by. And that phrase, pass them by, that echoes a second event from Exodus. And it's, an, it's a time when God reveals His glory to Moses in a new way. Now, the situation here is that they've been in the wilderness for a little, little while. Moses has gone up on my, Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. When he comes down, the people have um, built themselves a golden calf and are worshipping it. And Moses is horrified, and God is about to judge the people. And God says to, to Moses, well, listen, I, I'll let them go up to the promised land, but I'm not going to go with them. Because they're so rebellious, they're so sinful, if I go with them, I'll destroy them. But Moses intercedes with God and God relents and says, all right then, I will go. I'll go with them. Now Moses realises you know, that you know, God's speaking to him, he's, he's drawing close to God, he sort of thinks, I'm on a roll here. So he, he asks a really cheeky question. Okay, So let's, let's read what Moses says. This is Exodus thirty-three eighteen to 23. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. So just as God is passing by Moses on the mountain... Jesus is passing by his disciples, walking on the sea. Just as God was showing his glory to Moses, Jesus is showing his glory to the disciples as he passes by. There's a parallel there. But there's also something very different. We've just read Moses could not see God's face, could he? God had to shield Moses from his presence. Because, and that was because Moses was a weak and sinful human being. Any weak and sinful human beings in the house? <laughs> yes, aren't we all? And therefore, if Moses got too close, he would be destroyed by God's holiness. But when Jesus sees that the disciples are terrified by him passing by, walking on the water, he immediately gets into the boat with them. And he reassures them. So Moses had to be hidden and protected when God passed by. But for the disciples, when the Son of God goes past them, he gets into the boat to reassure them. Well, what are we supposed to learn from that? What does it show us? Well, does it show us that God has changed? Sometimes people make a distinction, don't they? They they say, well, you know... The, old, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. But that's not the case here. God has not changed. God does not change. It's in his, that's one of the things about being God. You don't change. And remember, we've just read, how did he reveal himself to Moses? As good, merciful, gracious. That's what God said he was. And remember as well that we believe in the Trinity, don't we? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one God. So Jesus is as powerful, as just, as righteous, and holy as his Father and as the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Spirit are as compassionate and as gracious and merciful as the Son. Didn't Jesus say in John 14 verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus getting into the boat and letting his disciples see his face isn't showing us that God has changed. So what is it showing us? What it's showing us is that he is making a change in his relationship to us. And he's doing that through his son, the Lord Jesus. God showed himself to Moses, didn't he, as both merciful and just, gracious and holy. And for that reason, Moses, representing Israel, representing sinful humanity, he must be hidden in the rock, shielded from God's holiness and justice so that he's not destroyed as God passes by. But later on in his gospel, Mark will show us Jesus, the perfect man, the Son of God, not hidden away from the justice and holiness of God, but exposed on the cross, representing Israel, mocked as the king of the Jews, representing sinful humanity, carrying our sins, all our offenses against God, and destroyed in our place. He's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's doing that under God's judgment for our sins, so that we can be forgiven. And that's why when Jesus is passing by the boat, in his power and his glory and his majesty and his holiness and his justice, he could get into the boat and his disciples could see his face and not be destroyed. And then he goes on to comfort them, doesn't he? And notice how he does that. He says take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. So at the heart of his reassurance is his own person and character, isn't it? It is I, that's why you should take heart, that's why you shouldn't be afraid, because it's me. So we need a full vision of Jesus, don't we? We need to see his majesty and his glory, we need to see his righteousness and his justice, we need to see his wisdom and his authority. We need to see his power and his mercy. We need to see his holiness and his compassion. We need to see that the God who made and upholds this universe is also the man who stretched out his hands on the cross for our sake, to bear the penalty for our sins. The man who is raised from the dead and is now ruling this world and will return to transform it. And when that man gets into your boat in the storms of life and says, don't be afraid, it's me. Well, you really can be comforted and encouraged, can't you? If it's that man. Well, what happens next? Uh, They arrive on the other side of the sea and the people recognize Jesus and he shows his compassion And his mercy in an amazing way mark tells us this wherever he came in villages cities or countryside they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched him were made well amazing what are we supposed to learn from it are we to learn that Jesus will always bring physical healing to everyone who reaches out to him? Well, certainly we can see, can't we, his compassion for the suffering people. Certainly we can see he's got the power and the authority to heal. But are we to expect that we will always be healed when we pray to him? Well, the answer to that is yes, and no. Okay, I know. I'm trying to have my cake and eat it, but let me explain. Let's think back to the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, so they were hungry, and yes, Jesus miraculously gave them more than they could eat, didn't he? But what happened the next day? Were they miraculously fed again the day after? No, they were not they had to get their food in the normal way and probably some of them went hungry. Or let's consider those sick who touched Jesus' garment. Were they all made well? Yes, they were. Are they alive today? No, they're not. Every single one of them died, which meant they got sick and they died, even though Jesus had truly healed them. Okay, so, well, what are we to learn then? Well, one thing we should learn is that Jesus has compassion for the sick and the hungry. He really cares. He cared so much, he went to the cross for those who were suffering and those who were lost. He cares for us so much. And because he cares, we should too. You probably know that since Roman times, right way through the Middle Ages into the modern era, Christians have have been at the forefront of caring for the, the sick and the hungry. They've been establishing hospitals, local clinics, feeding the poor, reforming prisons, renewing housing, introducing public health measures, providing hospices and famine relief, and all of that done, and it continues to be done, in the, in the name of Jesus. And, of course, we are also to learn that we can come to Jesus in prayer right now and receive healing. And many of us in this room can report that, can't we? That we or somebody we prayed for has received healing when we've asked in Jesus' name. But will we always be healed right now when we pray? No, we won't. Now, that's not because Jesus lacks the power or the love or the will. It's that we are standing in a particular place in the story of this universe between the first and the second coming of Christ. You see, already God himself in the person of his son has come into this world as its savior, giving his life so that we can be reconciled to him. And that's the main thing that Jesus is doing right now, bringing forgiveness of sins so that we can enter into a relationship with the Father. He is healing. He is feeding the hungry but he hasn't yet done away with hunger. He hasn't yet done away with sickness. They're still with us, aren't they? So when the hungry are fed and the sick are healed, that's already a taste of God's kingdom, but it's not yet the full experience. It's the starter. It's not the full meal. The miracles Jesus did then, and those he does now, are signs of what to come. Signs of what's coming to us. So if there's signs, what are they pointing to? Well, let's, let's draw everything together now and consider what these events mean for our present and our future. Jesus has demonstrated, hasn't he, God's desire and purpose to end hunger, to end sickness. And by walking on the sea, his intention to bring the chaos of this world uh, back into order under his rule. And wherever his people or any people of goodwill bring those things into this world, his his kingdom is coming. But we'll see the fullness of the kingdom when Jesus returns. When he returns, he won't be coming to die for our sins again, but to take his rightful place as king of the universe. And when the good, just, wise holy, gracious and compassionate king is on the throne in all his power and authority. All things will be restored and glorified, including you and me. So imagine glorified you, <laughs> be a sight to behold. And in that sense, every prayer for healing will receive the answer, yes. That's why it's a yes every time. We can read about this in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. John gives us a picture of the new heavens and new earth that Jesus will bring when he returns. Listen to what he says. Revelation chapter 7, 14 to 17. They, the Christians, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's a tremendous vision, and it's going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. So how do we respond to what we've learned today? The first thing, I think, is that we have to come to a decision about Jesus. Sooner or later, you have to come to a decision about him. Notice that, um, if you've been following us through Mark's gospel, the people are always amazed at the miracles and teaching of Jesus. And the disciples were astounded when they saw him walking on the sea. But they didn't fully understand. And remember, these are Jesus' chief disciples. He'd already sent them out to heal the sick and cast out demons but they're still not getting it. Their hearts were hardened, Mark tells us. Who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world had not yet become central to their lives. Yes, it was all very significant, exciting, important things going on, but it was still about them, still about their ambitions and desires. We sang that just now. Jesus, all for Jesus, all of my ambitions, hopes and dreams, I surrender these. Well, they hadn't yet. Okay, And it's going to become apparent as we carry on through, through Mark, particularly in chapter 8. You see, it's possible to follow Jesus and to be active in his church, yet ultimately reserve the right to go our own way and follow our own wisdom. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're reading the Bible and you read some command or instruction and it just offends you. You just think, oh, it's so sort of primitive, um, you know, uns- unscientific, mis- misguided, regressive. But obviously, it's, it's just for then, it's not for now. And we just put it aside. Well, what we should do is this we should seek to fully understand it, see what it means in the context of the big story of Jesus in the Bible. And once we've seen that, then we obey it. You see, once we've looked into it carefully and the meaning is plain, then it becomes an issue of the heart, doesn't it? And the issue is this. Will I trust that Jesus is wiser and more loving than I am and will I obey him? Or will I decide, well, On this occasion, I can put his word aside. In other words, will I harden my heart? Well, once we understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, we need to respond by going with him as he moves out into this world by his spirit, healing the sick, caring for the poor, and bringing justice and order to the chaos. And I want to especially encourage you, if you have a a wider vision of this, Uh, for what this means in society because we need Christian entrepreneurs, health workers, social workers, educators, business people, politicians, lawyers, civic leaders who can work for a just and compassionate society. I'm tempted to say something about the competition for leadership in the country but I'll just leave that aside for the moment. Um, But when we do that, when we When we engage with society like that, actually God's kingdom is coming. It's a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And finally, I want to encourage you to set your heart on things above. You see, we need to live our whole lives remembering that this world, everything we see about us, will not last in its present form. It's all going to pass away. Do you know how much money Bill Gates will leave when he dies? Do you know how much? All of it. (laughs) And it's not just Bill. It's going to happen to us all, isn't it? Okay. We need to to remember this. And we need to remember it. I need to remember it when I'm suffering and also when I'm doing well, perhaps especially when I'm doing well. Because I I need to remember that so I can respond faithfully to failure and success, to well-being and suffering. I need to keep my eyes on that wonderful new creation that's coming and even more on the wonderful king who's going to bring it with with him. We need to look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. You will do that one day. Wouldn't that be incredible? (laughs) Absolutely amazing. And you will be transformed when you see him face to face. You'll not be the same person. Okay, in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for prayer. I want to speak to three groups of people. I want to speak to you if, you are, if you're struggling to let Jesus be Lord of your life. If you, if you find yourself recoiling from his commands, I want you to notice how he responded to his disciples. He saw their fear, didn't he? He saw their hard hearts, but he got into the boat with them anyway. Didn't he? And throughout Mark's gospel, we see him comforting correcting, explaining, above all, being really patient whilst their hearts are gradually softened. And if you are struggling with something that he's calling you to do or some command of his, he wants to do the same with you. He wants to help you to understand what he's really like so you can put your trust in him. I want to pray for you if you are stirred by a vision for a more just and compassionate society. Okay, we want to pray for you and encourage you in that. And we want to pray for you if you're suffering. We want to stand with you. We want to pray for your restoration here and now. And we want to pray for that hope to come into your heart when God restores all things. Do you know the old hymn, I Cannot Tell? Maybe you don't know. Let me read you the last verse of that hymn. Beautiful hymn. I cannot tell how all the land shall worship when at his bidding every storm is stilled. Or who can say how great the jubilation when every heart with love and joy is filled. But this I know, the skies will thrill with rapture and myriad, myriad human voices sing and earth to heaven, and heaven to earth will answer. At last, the saviour, saviour of the world is king. Hallelujah. (laughs) So, maybe you've got kids you need to collect. Um, If you want to have prayer and you've got kids, you can do both. Okay, all you need to do is get them, give them somebody, come for prayer. Um, Or if you don't have kids, you can just come for prayer immediately. So come for those three things I've mentioned. Be people up here to pray with you or come with any need that you have because the Lord would love to meet with you and help you, whatever your situation. He would like to get into the boat with you. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.